It's time for the NPCs podcast. In this week's news roundup for the week of March 24th, 2023. Counter-Strike 2 revealed. With Counter-Strike skin market going wild, and Valve could be canceling matches immediately if they detect cheating. Elden Ring now has ray chasing, and it might be breaking the game. Microsoft is developing its own app store to rival Apple and Google. Microsoft gets a big boost in the Activision Blizzard acquisition. And Epic's big announcements from the State of Unreal keynote. My name is Travis Sherman, and as always, to discuss this week's news, I am joined by none other than, none other than Kyle Edmund. Kyle, what's up? Oh, not a lot. How's it going this week? Dude, the news has been nuts. Like, it hasn't, like, uh, this has by far probably been a very big week for news. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Like, I, I was going through the stories, and I, I was having a tough time trying to decide, you know, which ones really mattered the most. But, I mean, of course, with our, our headliner, um, there was just so much revolving around it. I, I had to get, you know, a couple couple things in there with it, so... Um. Exactly. Yeah. So let's just jump right into this one, the main one for this week, and that is Counter Strike Two. Yes, that's right. Valve still knows how to count. Counter Strike Two has been revealed by Valve this week, and we'll be taking uh, basically a page out of Source Two and mixing that together with everybody's tried and true CS:GO. That's right. So Counter Strike Two is going to be a completely separate game releasing this summer, and. By far, at least the few things that have already come out of the limited beta that's out right now, or the I guess you could almost consider it a closed alpha, because they're only letting in so many different people, uh, there's a lot that has changed so far. Um, I guess let's just put it like this. There have been rumors going around now for at least the last three weeks of impending changes to Counter-Strike. Uh, more specifically, people were seeing changes as being tracked by SteamDB on the CSGO environment they were seeing uh updates come through at a weird level um they were seeing uh changes and additions to things without those additions being directly called out but really where it comes to though is that there was a driver uh released from nvidia that showed support for csgo2 and cs2.exe um and that's what really kicked things off but then of course all the changes to uh, the CSGO files, the additions that were being made, I guess there are ways that people can track updates to the blog even before the blog gets published. There was a lot of that being seen, and sure enough, here we are. We now have Counter-Strike 2 uh, coming out this summer, and I gotta say, I'm blown away by at least the some of the changes that they've made thus far, or at least what they've revealed thus far. Oh yeah, no no doubt. Like uh, of of course the the biggest one being the uh the smoke generation and uh the volumetric smoke and how basically everything reacts to it or it reacts to everything, I should say in reverse. Uh because every time you fire your gun and you're in the smoke, it's going to light up and uh refract off the smoke uh to catch in different ways. Um, your bullets are going to cut through the smoke. Explosions will dissipate the smoke realistically. But in turn, as long as the smoke grenade's still going off, it's still going to produce smoke realistically too. So, and 
it, it'll feel it'll feel hallways realistically. There's so much even just with one stupid grenade. <laughs> I think the biggest part though is that because it's a it's volumetric, is that it's going to be represented the exact same way regardless of who you are in the actual game itself. So when I say that, what I'm talking yeah. about is that if you're in a match right now in CSGO and throw a smoke down, the way that smoke is going to be presented to one player is going to look vastly different for a, another player. Even if they're on the same team, it will look different. And this has been used to many different competitors' advantages based on the way they throw the smoke, how it lands, and how they can sort of like peek through it or peek around it and see an enemy where the on the inverse, they're not able to actually see what they would expect to see. So there are those differences. But yeah, the volumetric part of it will allow now, and the other configs, of course, with using the Source 2 engine, will now make it so that way the smoke generation is the exact same uh, for everybody. It, it will look the exact same for everyone. And I think that's a big, a big, big change that's going to change a lot of metas for teams going forward. Um and yeah, you're right, too. The fact, though, that you can manipulate the smoke by throwing a grenade in, it blows up and it separates the smoke, and then it can basically fill back in, depending on when you throw the grenade down, or even if you take a couple shots. It's, oh, it's incredible to see. It's it's incredible to see that level of interaction with something like that. Well, and I think it'll change the, the tactical dyna- uh, dynamics of how people use the smoke. Um, I think you'll see a change in people will be sitting and waiting in the smoke or using it as cover far differently uh, than, you know, they currently are. So uh, just because of the way it'll interact with the the environment and your weapons and even how people move through it. So that, that is another thing to consider. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that's been the biggest thing that a lot of people had focused on. There's a couple other things that they revealed so far, though, too. Is of course, they talked about the the updates to the tick rate. And so, mm-hmm. of course, the tick rate was the time interval that servers would run at to actually provide updates across the board. Basically, the, the actions and movements taken by players and how those were actually communicated out to everybody else. So that way you could have a streamlined level playing field, regardless if you were playing on a computer that could only get you up to 60 frames per second, or you're playing on a computer that could get you up to, you know, something higher, even, even if your network connectivity was completely different too. Um, they've changed that now though, to what they're calling sub ticks. And the quote here that they said is previously the server only evaluated the world in discrete time intervals, which they call ticks. Thanks to counter-strike 2's sub tick update architecture, servers know the exact instant that motion starts, a shot is fired or a nade is thrown. As a result, regardless of tick rate, your moving and shooting will be equally responsive and your grenades will always land the same way. So that's going to be a big thing. That's almost similar to how, a lot of people have fought and said we need higher tick rate servers to play on for Counter Strike. Um, it sounds like a lot of like what the fighting community asks for with like uh, the net rollback code too. Like this is that that kind of like holy grail that you would expect to have in a shooter to make things more level for everybody. Well, not just level, but more fluid. It, the the gameplay will just be more smooth across the board, even if you do have a slightly higher. 
uh, ping or, you know, you're, you're the fastest guy, you know, running whatever internet, you know, is costing you a million dollars, not to say that there's, you know, such thing available, but I mean, in all seriousness, um, you know, someone with quite a bit faster internet, newer wiring, you know, a better modem or whatever, um, won't necessarily get as much benefit, uh, against the person that, that is slower in, in some of those matches. Exactly. So that's going to be an added benefit for just about everybody. And I can't wait to actually get my hands on it to see how much better it feels because I know I've been the per other, like the other player there at the, like watching a, a killer replay trying to figure out, okay, how did this guy get me? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it seems like his response was just a little bit better than mine. Just, just a little bit. Now, granted, I'm in a house full of gamers anyway, so, you know, the the bottlenecks and, and throughput constraints that could be up there from somebody updating a game or playing a different game, whatever, while I'm playing Counter-Strike, you know, hopefully that's all gone to the wayside now with, with sub-ticks. And I know that once we can get our hands on it, we'll be able to actually see how that feels compared to CSGO anyway. Um, the last thing they showed off, though, talking about it, was the changes to the the maps mm-hmm. um they didn't show off every single map that they've changed so far currently in the limited alpha it looks like dust 2 is the only map that's available right now and you're all limited to unranked competitive and uh team deathmatch i think is what it was or just straight up deathmatch but they showed off some of the changes that they've made to the worlds more specifically how the lighting has changed how the um how the architecture has changed in relation to, or the, the textures have changed, excuse me. Um, the the cleanliness on different things, especially as it comes to like weapon skins and uh, weapon effects, weapon sounds. Um, I believe even like the sound on the op scope has changed too. So it zooms in and sounds completely different. Um, the actual response, I think of like a blood splatter when you shoot an enemy. Uh, that has changed all as well, too. But the key parts, though, is that they made sure that maps that are in the regular pool rotation within CSGO right now are getting more like graphical overhauls, but are not changing the core foundation of what they are right now in CSGO. There are some maps, though, that aren't in the regular rotation that are actually getting a full overhaul with Source 2. Like, not just a, a spit shine, but they're actually getting a full built from the ground up overhaul which i think is nice and there's a lot of people who make comparisons like i think i even made this comparison too that it's like looking at overwatch 2 and how you know what map you're looking at you know where you are but even with the lighting changes and some other upgrades to the textures things look fresh and that's what i'm getting from this as well too oh yeah definitely um I I feel like there are quite a bit of levels that that deserve that that graphical overhaul. Um and you know in all honesty there's there's some levels I wish they'd bring back that we haven't seen in quite a while. Um that you know it'd be cool to see them redo them in that that graphical overhaul and see them redone and and maybe make a return, you know, even if they have to make the changes to make them actually playable and fair again. Maybe they will. I mean, I've seen it over the years since I'm an original CSGO player. 
like I'm talking like within the first couple months of it launching before they mm-hmm. even started doing skins and cases and and all of the other chaos there. Um, I've seen them make small tweaks and adjustments to the maps and that to be able to try to up that competitiveness in the sense that they don't want to give too much lean to one uh, to one side. They don't want to make right. any map one-sided, but sometimes you run into that still no matter what, especially like on Banana on Inferno. But needless <laughs> to say... Um, no, I definitely think that's kind of the focus is that they're starting, they're remaining the with the tried and true efforts that have already been put into the map so far, and that I don't think it should take away from the competitiveness of each of those maps anyway. I don't think we should see a lot of of drifting away from that. It should still it should still feel the exact same as it is right now in CS:GO. Right. Well, um, honestly, I I just can't wait to see it. Um, you know, or or at least see an open beta uh, come about uh, with the actual game. Um, but I mean, at this point, there there's other stuff that that's kind of wild that that that's turned up ever since the announcement of the uh, Counter Strike Two reveal. Which I mean, this has all uh, come about also very quick anyway. Um, just from when the rumor sparked and when we got the actual reveal from Valve. But now the skin market is going wild. Yeah, absolutely it is. Like That's one of the key things here, too, is that because Valve, again, this kind of ties in. I make the references to Overwatch 2 because this is kind of what we saw with them as well, is that you can actually, like all of your skins... And unlocks that you have in CSGO will move over to CS2. They're going to get the nice, you know, fresh coat of paint, at least in the sense of like a nice polish when it comes to the newer textures and that that are within um, within Source 2's engine. But it, it's, yeah, exactly. That you're going to be able to carry over all of these skins and it's driving values like bad. Like, I'm curious to actually see here, like if... Uh, I'm gonna go into my library here. I'm actually gonna look and see what my uh, what my skin values look like because I know I have like one skin in my inventory right now that's probably worth about fourteen dollars. Oh wow! I wonder, yeah, and, I wonder what it's worth now. While while you're looking that up, I like just as a, a as a reference in the article, it says there's a uh, AWP lightning strike. Um, one of the ones that's increased. Um by value in the last month uh looks like by quite a bit originally selling it about a hundred dollars being you know not necessarily a super duper rare skin but maybe more a little bit more sought after but not as common skin and now it's selling for 450 to 500 dollars as of the end of february um here in the last uh it looks like 48 hours from when this article was written that I'm I'm referencing from PC Gamer uh, that was published a day ago. Uh, it's up to $730 Jesus for that skin. Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it looks like that skin that I'm talking about here, it's the... Um, let's see, is it that one there? Where'd my prices go? Like, I literally just had the prices on these suckers here. I was just looking at them. Uh, but one of them was going for about, like, originally like 13 or 14 dollars i mean it's gone up a couple dollars since now it was around like 16 dollars and some change 
Mm-hmm. And I know that's not necessarily a lot, but it's like that's just a skin for a for a a weapon, like an in-game weapon. Yeah, $16.14. I finally got Steam to refresh that. But even so, so yeah, I mean, like up. at that amount though, at like the actual value of things that have jumped, it's insane. But if you want to talk about the way that like if you want to talk about NFTs, and I know we roll our eyes at these all the time. No, oh, yeah. Valve seems to have it kind of like locked in, at least with their their marketplace. Oh yeah. And I, I've pointed my finger at Valve for uh specifically the Counter Strike skins. Uh, but you know, they, they claim it's not an NFT and I I guess really it's not because the only place it holds value is in their marketplace. And yeah, you could technically get money from it, but the only place you're going to really use it is in-game to imp- impress other players. It's more of like a badge at this point. I mean, I remember back in the days of, well, I think it was 1.3 or whatever, the like early, early Counter-Strike, that you could just go online and download skins for free. And you had to allocate them in the right folders and everything. But once they were in there, that was the skin you used. And that's kind of how I think the, the skin community kind of generated from it um valve seeing that you know we could we could make our own legitimate skins and you know give them a small value and then all of a sudden people wanted to trade them and give them their own value because they had rarity so i mean it is an nft it's not an nft but i mean it's it's really cool that valve is is going so far to actually let the players uh transfer all their their content from the the previous game especially since some of those those skins are worth so much money i mean there are skins that are thousands of dollars if i'm not mistaken oh yeah oh yeah we just talked about it what last week with uh that one skin that sold for just under one hundred and seventy thousand dollars. yeah that's insane that that's that, totally nuts. yeah that's way out there. Like it's not an amount I ever would have expected to see somebody spin on something like in a game though. That's just crazy. But even more so what's crazy is that it looks like the the anti-cheat side of things with Counter-Strike has actually been upped even more. So we're fully aware of this and Kyle, I know you know this firsthand about mm-hmm. VAC bans, which VAC stands for Valve Anti-Cheat. It looks like they have made some adjustments to how VAC actually functions now in Counter-Strike 2. So VAC, usually when a ban occurs, it's usually to the individual, and the game will carry on. Uh, the individual can be banned while they're in the midst of a game. Uh, they can be banned when they're offline. It, it can happen really at any point in time. And that just disallows the person from being able to play i believe on official servers i believe they can still play on custom ones but you're not going to have the full-fledged counter-strike experience without playing on uh official servers right now with that said someone's been actually going through and actually reverse engineered the code within counter-strike 2 and found a mention of code called vac live and uh it looks like it probably could cancel the match entirely in progress if a cheater is found in the game itself. Now, this is an interesting take, though, to actually see, I guess, Valve change. Like, they they kind of have stolen some of this. Like, this article we're referencing here from PC Gamer, they make a comment about Valorant, and that Valorant has this same function in there, too. So it's interesting to see them take this on, and after so long, take this on. 
I mean, what do you think? Do you think that's going to make it simpler for matches more or simpler for queuing up properly? Because, you know, you're getting the cheater out instead of being forced to play a game and potentially lose XP or lose uh, status, especially in a competitive match. You know, like, what do you I think? think it, I mean, I think because it's Counter Strike, it's going to make it really rough to play for a little while because there are so many people that cheat on the game. And let's face it, it is going to be a, a free free to play. They've already announced that. Um, like its former, I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to have a form of purchasing the game, probably just, you know, so you can have, um, some added benefits, um, like, like anyone that's, uh, purchased Counter-Strike Go, uh, but beyond that, I, I, I don't know, I, it, it... yeah, um, I I feel like beyond that, like attacking the cheaters like this, I I don't know. I think it's nicer. I honestly think it's better instead of like forcing you to carry on playing a game when you could end up being, you know, lopsided in regards to your actual player count. Um, I feel like it's going to have a lot of people frustrated though. Because of interrupted matches, I, I think that's where I was trying to get at. Um, ultimately, yeah. is that that you're going to have interrupted matches and uh, initially when the game launches, but overall, I think it it's going to make the game play better. Well, the bonus at least is that you can like because of how popular Counter Strike is that you should be able to get into another match relatively quickly, like without much of a fight. Mm. Especially if it's like unranked anyway, but uh, I can't imagine playing a regular like casual game and a cheater being detected and the entire thing shutting down there. It feels more like it's targeted towards the competitive part, so that way whatever rank you have and whatever XP you already have isn't affected by a cheater being removed from the game and you having to play again in a lopsided environment. They don't backfill there in competitive as far as I'm aware. Is that when you're in competitive, you're so. stuck in competitive? Yeah. So I see this as a net positive because I hate it in scenarios where we do end up being a man down and I could lose rank potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's fair as well. I mean, I I I guess I I don't play enough competitive to to see it from the competitive aspect, but yeah, I, in in the con- competitive forum, definitely. That that's where the there is the most benefit um because y- I mean, it is going to affect your player stats, and your your player stats in competitive, let's face it, are basically everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm looking at it here right now. Gun skins like, and everything aside. <laughs> yeah, like if you really want to look at the player side of stuff right here, according to SteamDB.info, in the last 24 hours, their peak has been 1.415 million, or 1,415,826 to be exact. So, I mean, you're talking about, you know, pretty big peak on there, which means it's not going to be hard to find a game if a cheater causes everybody to be kicked out and forced to kind of restart. Is it going to suck, especially if you're really far into a match and someone gets kicked? Yeah, that might be a pain. But 
better than potentially losing any you know anything else. So I I, I just hope the system is strong enough that it it doesn't um, I guess miss flag cheaters. Um, I I know that most of the the, the anti cheat systems have come far enough, but. Every now and then, there there is one that slips through, and Valve has actually been so ruthless about uh, their back bands that uh, I I feel like that could be devastating for a player if you know they they get a back band and it, it's their system isn't totally solid. So hopefully they they get things squared away um, in enough in the betas. Um, that they can say that it, it's a strong system and it, it's not going to affect our players negatively. Yeah, it, it will be very, very interesting to actually see it running live, to actually yeah. see it happening in real time and what those consequences are going to feel like for a non-cheater, like for uh, an actual player. You know, does that change priority queuing, though, instead where maybe you'll find a game faster than someone else who just who wasn't just in a lobby that had a cheater? You know, will it potentially put you in a queue to be able to get back into the to a different game faster? Yeah, I I I would hope so, and I, I I think that's what their hope is too. Yeah, but as it stands, I mean, those are the big things right now about Counter Strike Two. Uh, as much as we know, at least, is that if you are a player in good standing, you've played on official Valve servers, and of course you've sunk a lot of time into Counter-Strike Go, then you should be able to potentially see that show up on your game list, not necessarily in Steam. You actually have to launch CSGO to see it come up, um, and then it will have you enroll and then download and install it through the Steam client. Um, but then you'll be able to play the limited beta uh, or limited alpha a limited run. I can't remember the exact term they're giving it right now, but it will let you in and you'll be able to play again, unranked competitive and deathmatch on dust Two. They said they'll be adding in maybe a couple more things as time goes on and they'll allow more people in as time goes on. But then the full release of counter-strike two will be this summer. So that doesn't mean we have very long to wait. And I'm, excited i'm stoked i am ready to jump into this new version of the game and just and go nuts with smoke grenades yeah i i honestly don't play enough of it online and i wish i did and i i think i'll i'll need to be starting to practice again so i can i can hop into this new version and be ready (laughs) well when we can do that we'll come back and talk about it but of course Till then, we have to carry on into our next news story, and that is the excitement followed by the depression that is the Elden Ring ray tracing update. That's right. Elden Ring now has ray tracing. Ray tracing, again, for anybody who is not aware, uh, is a technique that renders more realistic lighting in games. It also handles smooth reflections, shadows, and textures to provide a more lifelike illustration of how real light interacts with digital objects. And I can thank Kotaku for actually providing that. That's in their article here that we're referencing talking about this update. So update 1.09 dropped, and it's actually causing major issues. And I say this is a shocker, though, because, well, it's not really a shocker. That's more like in quotes. And I think Kyle knows this, too, because ray tracing just, it's a resource hog. Like, it's for those cinematic games, and Elden Ring is cinematic, but when dodge rolls are everything and the timing that you need for parrying is everything, too, it's kind of a problem. But it's actually caused quite a few issues. Like, there are some uh, reports out there about, you know, it looks great, 
is that apparently the update actually provides a nice, clean, fresh slate of true lighting effects within the game, and it makes those vistas look incredible. But apparently it's causing massive frame rate uh, drops. It's causing uh, some major problems with some graphics cards as well, though, too. Um, apparently it's actually causing problems where, dare I say it, the uh, like RTX 3090 GPUs are apparently like blowing up. I think this was the game that was being referenced for that. Um, and not literally blowing up. Like people are not getting hit in the face with shrapnel. Right. But no, it, it, they're just literally dying. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it's, it's a slog. Like it's not to say that it's necessarily a bad thing, especially on hardware where ray tracing is going to be pretty much coming up as like the norm as like, and can kind of be supported more widespread. I'm talking specifically consoles like the series X and the PlayStation five, where it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of a one size fits all for those two consoles when it comes to developing, but needless to say, it's still causing problems even on console as well. But man, I mean, just a lot of people are trying to incorporate ray tracing and it's not to say that it's a bad technology, but it's the same story every time, Kyle. It's the same story every time that we constantly see these problems keep cropping up, and it's with systems that are built like almost to the near top of where they could be. So yes what is no. it? Yes and no. Because, um, I mean, the, I, I've seen games that the ray tracing works fantastic, and, you know, it, the games are, are great. Like, uh, Control as one example. Um, okay, I'll give you that one. But, I mean, even then... What what is the benefit of it? And really and truly, I think we we have to look at the the fact that beyond you know adding really cool shadows and making you know some textures look a little bit more realistic, you know, but it is it's a resource hog. And right now the the technology it isn't strong enough to have it as part of our games necessarily. Um, at least ones that are, you know, doing the, the, the tricks so well, like Elden Ring is, um, that, I mean, it, it, it's almost emulating ray tracing anyway, but one, once you turn it on, it's a whole different story. Um, beyond, you know, some, some graphic cards, well, specifically the 3090, um, uh, one, one person said that the moment they load their character up in uh in the uh i want to say it's the hold the round or the the round table hold or whatever um the game crashes and it it's not even a resource hungry area so there there's that and it, it's the same graphics card as mine that's the 3090 um there there's you know other issues of just complete frame rate drops or in a side-by-side -side comparison on YouTube, um, they're walking up to, like, doorways, and the leaves next to the doorway in the distance and everything look fantastic. It lo like, the trees look amazing. The doorway is clear. Um, any enemies that are somewhat kind of hidden are, are fairly pronounced because, you know, you'd be able to see them. But with ray tracing turned on, everything looks just fuzzy, almost like you've got the wrong prescription glasses or you need glasses 
See, that's interesting to think that like going into round table hold causes that much of an issue because you are right. There isn't a lot going on in that area. Sure, there are a lot of players that could potentially be in that area when you're connected online, but obviously you're only mm-hmm. seeing like you're only seeing the the ghostly image of them as they're running around doing their own thing. But there isn't a lot going on. You're right. If you're in the open world, I would expect definitely more of a of a hang up or the hiccups to be increased greatly. But I mean, dang, that's it's weird to see exactly like why they push this. And these are the problems that are being have out like they're being observed out there. Excuse me, especially because they've got to have like test environments where they can test what Xbox and PlayStation look like. But that they've also got at least you know, top tier hardware, maybe last generation hardware for PC. So that way they can at least validate. And I know not every computer is going to be the same. No two computers are the same, but there's still stuff out there that makes me wonder like, where did the failure in QA actually get to the point though, where they're like, eh, whatever. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, that, that might be the case that there, there are a lot of different graphics cards to account for. There's a lot of different manufacturers and whatnot, um, and th- there's a there's you know two different game consoles that you're programming for. However, I mean, when it comes down to like a thirty ninety, the the architecture is pretty much the same across the manufacturers. You know, they're 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 running the the same chiplet sets and whatnot to try and get to to output the same performance. So why is the top or what used to be the top of the line graphics card, you know, just a generation behind now, only by like two years, um, you know, or two years old, it, it is having some of the worst issues. It makes absolutely no sense. Why, why should I be, you know, trying to play a game and all of a sudden it looks like I need glasses because... The, the leaves next to me look really great because the detail and the shadows are fantastic and all of a sudden I can make out blades of grass, but the frame rate's been cut in half and everything in the distance looks like, I I, I don't know, I, I put on fogged glasses. Yeah, that's, that's where it's really bizarre because the game already looks great without ray tracing and I mm-hmm. know what ray tracing can provide, but it sounds like it's something that people need to hold off on for maybe the short term until from software can come out with like patch 1.10 and potentially fix whatever it is that's going on, you know, or, or do whatever they need to do to address the situation. I I think this, this is really a point too, where developers have to have to decide, you know, what, what are the benefits of ray tracing in our game and, you know, how does it benefit us? How does it benefit the consumer and how does it benefit telling the story to actually put it in there and maybe that's a point that you go well we already have the technique to you know trick people let's go with that instead because it's gonna be a far better experience and maybe developers need to take note from this at that at this point oh i think so i think there's plenty of examples out there for developers to look at now and say hmm how can we better approach this so we don't have this happen the same way it did for these other people? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you're one who really does enjoy ray tracing and at least all that it offers, by all means, if you have a system that can handle supporting ray tracing for Elden Ring, go 
enable it, go try it out, go tell us what your thoughts are on it. Um, but I think for now, I'll just hold off on it and just stick with the way it looks because it looks just fine as it is now. I agree. I fully agree. Well, let's go ahead and move on into the first of two Microsoft stories we've actually got today. And uh, this one's actually maybe not too much of a surprise as kind of coming down the line. But, um, you know, I guess maybe it is. I, I don't know. I guess we'll just talk about it, see how it kind of comes up here. But Microsoft is actually in the process of making their own Xbox mobile gaming store. And it's a very interesting thing for them to be talking about. I guess apparently it was in their documents uh, that they had filed with the UK's regulator, the Competition and Markets Authority, or CMA. And here's what they say. This has been uh, uh, broken out by The Verge in this article we're referencing. The transaction will improve Microsoft's ability to create a next-generation game store which operates across a range of devices, including mobile, as a result of the addition of Activision Blizzard's content. Building on Activision Blizzard's existing communities of gamers, Xbox will seek to scale the Xbox store to mobile, attracting gamers to a new Xbox mobile platform. Shifting consumers away from the Google Play Store and App Store on mobile devices will, however, require a major shift in consumer behavior. Microsoft hopes that by offering well-known and popular content, gamers will be more inclined to try something new. And the fact that, I guess let's just put this out there. It's not a surprise that Microsoft is actually trying to make their own app store, so to speak. But the fact, though, that it's specifically a Xbox game store instead for mobile devices seems more like they're just fleshing out the next phase of what Game Pass and game streaming are. Because there's no way you're going to put an Xbox game onto an iPhone or a, a Samsung Galaxy S23. You're not going to do that. You're going to have to stream these games to be able to get them to work successfully. Unless every single title they're putting in there are the mobile versions of these other games that have come out from Activision Blizzard. And I guess you could potentially even consider Microsoft with the, uh, what was it, the Halo spartan fire team or whatever it was that came out with halo uh four or five. Oh yeah the the halo tablet game yeah the i think it's like fire team assault or something like that yeah um, i couldn't remember the name of it but yeah i think that's about right yeah i i don't recall the exact name there were there were two of them i think but i mean regardless um i don't know i i i think it's a cool idea that they're they're planning their own app store. Um, maybe this potentially means we might see a more portable Xbox uh, that's compatible with the app store as like downloadable games as well as like, uh, you know, X cloud or, you know, their, their cloud service. But beyond that, I think it, um, if you look at the uh, Microsoft library uh, of downloadable free games and whatnot, there are quite a few mobile games that are on there, like idle games and so on and so forth, that you can just play on your Xbox to kill time if you, you know, you're bored. Swap between a couple idle games that are on your Xbox and then back into your, your regularly scheduled, you know, Elden Ring ass-kicking, I guess. But... Um, <laughs> Really and truly, um, beyond that, I, I I think yeah, Blizzard, Activision, King would would ha help uh, benefit them on the front of maybe having mobile platform games. But I, I I think they could develop their own mobile platform games that would be maybe 
you know, shorter snippets of content similar to like the uh, Halo Spartan Assault. Maybe we could see a Gears of War game. Um, maybe even a a Gears of War Tactics mobile or something uh, that could bridge the gap between like a mobile game and like a full length game. I mean, we we've heard about some of these uh, in talks already. Um, these these mobile titles that that are full length games. I mean, shoot, we already have some. If you think about like Genshin Impact, yeah, and I mean even the GTA games have jumped ship from their console and pc counterparts and we've got gta 3 vice city and san andreas that you can play on iphone or android or you know wherever you want to and basically have the exact full game just as you do on a console so it's not outlandish necessarily to think that something like that could happen um Mm -hmm. i guess this is just going to be more of a roll-up though of the existing offerings at least at first, is that, yeah, probably going to be a storefront that has those existing mobile titles in them and then is going to have xCloud also paired up with it, though, too. And as long as you have a Game Pass Ultimate membership that you can tie into it, there's probably going to be other like mobile perks, similar to how you can use the Netflix app now that they're into gaming and that you can actually go and download games that generally might have been a uh, a paid purchase. They're now included with your Netflix subscription that you can go and just download and just start playing to your heart's content unless you decide to cancel your Netflix sub. So I, I kind of wonder, though, if you're right, though, is that this could be the next phase of Microsoft stuff is not only to branch out further into mobile. I mean, we saw them with their partnership with Logitech on the, uh, what do they call it? It wasn't the G-pad. Um, what do they oh, call shoot. that handheld? Yeah. They're, they're the little cloud gaming... Yeah, the one that I think it's the G Cloud. Maybe that is the G Cloud. Um, yeah, but it seems more like maybe that was almost a trial just to see what they could potentially do first alongside a regular, like third party partner, and then now we could see them turn around and basically make like a you know who knows maybe we could see a portable Xbox or of course there's the talk that they're going to work on a new uh, Surface Duo phone. Maybe that's where that will actually show up first or. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could do a dedicated Surface product or, or Xbox mobile product. Hell, they shelved the uh, Project Keystone stuff, the the little streaming box for playing Xbox games. Maybe they'll just turn all of their R&D effort over to uh, this instead. I mean, it's a possibility. And I you think about some of the benefits anyway, too, uh, that I don't know if you necessarily see all of them because i don't check them on pc i usually check them on console and i very rarely turn on my console like twice maybe once or twice a month uh just to get the free games but there's always the other added benefits to like other games and stuff on there as well and i feel like even some of those are tailored to like the free-to-play experiences or even some of the ones that are accessible via mobile or, you know, some of the stuff that you would perhaps maybe even access on mobile, like uh, free month or two on Crunchyroll. I know they've done that before. Uh, the free month on Discord, you know, they, they've done that that before. So, I mean, Microsoft has given out things that don't necessarily correlate to the Xbox. They may correlate more towards PC or more towards that xCloud experience so it kind of makes me wonder you know are they are they moving to try and make their own device i I, 
it's a possibility for the future. Yeah, I just wonder though if that. I don't know if necessarily that'll happen to the point of them making their own device outside of potentially being something that comes, say, packaged in with whatever the next generation of Surface Duo is. You but know that they could potentially go into that. Maybe you are more on on par with you know the fact that they're trying to lean into this whole Netflix thing. They want to provide the games and their services and have it all under one umbrella. Yeah. Well, plus also it comes down to not only that, like trying to make it a central source for all of these different things, but it comes down to like, of course, revenue though, too, because mobile gaming is like the, like a big, big moneymaker out there, not only in the ad revenue, but even for like the in-game content purchases. Um, Right. Yeah. So it's like they, so even in the Verge's article, they make a mention about that, about the revenue they go on to say here. Uh, what they pulled out of the information from Microsoft's um, submission to the CMA. Uh, the transaction gives Microsoft a meaningful presence in mobile gaming. Mobile gaming revenues from the King Division in titles such as Call of Duty Mobile, as well as ancillary revenue, represented more than half of Activision Blizzard's revenues in the first half of 2022. Mobile customers account for around three-quarters of its MAU. Microsoft currently has no meaningful presence in mobile gaming, and the transaction will bring much-needed expertise in mobile game development, marketing, and advertising. Activision Blizzard will be able to contribute its learnings from developing and publishing mobile games to Xbox Gaming Studios. So they want the they want the slice of the pie. They want the slice of the revenue that's out there as well, too. And, and who could blame them with the amount of money that's being sunk out there right now into mobile games? But they don't have the, the know-how to do it. They probably do, but they want to be able to divest that know-how into the groups that already know how to do it. And by acquiring Activision Blizzard King, it's they're just buying up a company that can do it for them instead. They just say, we want to do this. Oh, easy enough. Let's do it this way. You know, and they could have a product out in a year. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I, I think that um, Microsoft's just been out of the, I, I guess, the mobile gaming revenue scene for far too long. I mean, the, the xCloud is cool. But really and truly, it's only an added benefit um, to what Game Pass is. It, it's not necessarily their storefront. It, it's you know, it it's almost like a crutch to playing games. Like oh, I you know I want to get you know a, a round in on Call of Duty, but I'm you know out on the town with the wife or whatever, and you know something like that. You know, granted, Call of Duty's not on there yet, but um it's just an example. Oh yeah, no, it is. It, that's one example. And it's actually a very big example to use though, too. But even so, I mean, that's just a tiny part of it though. I mean, Activision Blizzard makes plenty of money anyway, as is, and that's just another part of it though. Um, but at the end of it all, anyway, that they want to basically come out with their own app store that focuses on uh, just providing games is going to be an interesting one to see, especially because um, you can already load uh, different app stores onto Android devices. You can't mm-hmm. on iPhone yet. Uh, however, here soon that should be happening because the EU actually put out a law, and I think even it was a part of a lawsuit that they had against uh, Apple anyway, was that uh, devices will now have to offer the ability to put in uh, competing app stores into your mobile device. 
that there shouldn't be anything to prevent that. So Apple apparently is working on trying to to work with that while trying to basically sandbox it. So that way the core privacy stuff that they built into the iPhone isn't potentially affected by having a side-loaded app store on the device or a uh, you know a, a different one on there that they can sandbox it off so that way they can offer things up differently. And that's where I wonder if Microsoft's going to be able to step in. Again, if they came out with an Xbox game store, they could put it on Android in an instant and nobody would see any problem with it. But for iOS, that's where it's going to be the biggest hangup. And depending on how that law went and what Apple's actually working towards, that might be the way they get their foothold in there. Otherwise, they're going to have to do something interesting with what they're doing now for uh, xCloud on iOS devices. Yeah, and I, I, I really hope that's not the case, you know. And I, I, while you were talking, I was, I was just thinking about some of the added benefit, um, that that could already exist, like games that you own currently in your Xbox library that are, I mean, technically accessible on cell phone anyway. They could all of a sudden become playable on your cell phone because you own them. You just have to download them through your Xbox Game Store. All of a sudden, you can download maybe games that that did run on the original Xbox, or you know some some 360 games that weren't necessarily as graphically intensive. And all of a sudden, you could just purchase them on your cell phone through the Microsoft Game Store because you know they were Microsoft licensed and they've never been released on the Android marketplace. I mean, there there are lots of benefits to this, and I really hope that you know Apple can potentially you know loosen loosen the belts a little bit and and allow other marketplaces to to be on there. I I understand that they feel like they they need their their piece of the pie plus their extra piece of the pie on on everything but i mean they're it's the the greed is going to get to them at some point i honestly feel like and they're going to be excluded from something great at this point probably probably uh but I guess we'll have to see because that mobile store may not exist unless they can actually complete the acquisition of Activision Blizzard King. And we'll get into that here in a second after a word from our sponsor, Anchor.fm, now known as Spotify for Podcasters. And we're back. All right. So the second Xbox Activision Blizzard story we have uh for this week i mean because that's going to be the thing that dominates the news every week though too outside of course you know counter-strike 2 being announced in that is um yeah is that apparently it looks like we've had a pretty big step forward in uh the uk's regulation authority the uh, competitions and markets authority uh basically giving kind of a I would almost say a yellow light instead of a red light now for the acquisition to proceed. Um, so this actually came out today uh, that the CMA, uh, so the we're referencing this article from IGN, uh, the CMA dropped a statement out that said one of their major concerns, which was related to um, competition harm, if Microsoft is to acquire Activision Blizzard King, uh, it's basically been addressed because Microsoft has been on a tear signing agreements with people, making sure that Call of Duty is available on on 
systems and platforms that you wouldn't have even expected it on. You know, like supporting three different competitor cloud platforms. You got NVIDIA GeForce Now. You've got uh, another cloud company that's out of, I think, Ukraine of all places. And then there's another one that's actually the cloud company responsible for the cloud edition games on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, which those are AAA titles that can't run natively on the Nintendo Switch, so they use a cloud service to be able to basically stream them to the Switch for you to enjoy. But then, of course, again, there's also the support directly to Nintendo to say, hey, we're going to put Call of Duty on the Switch for 10 years. You know, it, Microsoft has been on a tear to basically tell all of these companies, we're going to do business with business with you when we acquire this. Here it is in writing, signed, date, it's official. You know, you can hold this to us here. This is legally binding. We will get this game to you. And it looks like they've satisfied at least that caveat that the CMA had, which is good. That's exactly what we were hoping is that they'd be, you know, held to the like feet to the fire to be able to address those concerns. And I don't think we had much of a, a concern they weren't going to do that. But, you know, well, here we I are. I mean, there was one person or one group that had a major concern, and that was Sony. And I, you know, they they've you know, raised everything they can uh, to to try and to to try and go against this whole deal, but um, they still they've been pre- presented their own deal and they've declined it, and that's one of the th- things the CMA cites is the fact that Microsoft has gone out of their way to to help uh, you know these other companies make deals that wouldn't have ever existed. And mm-hmm. Sony has shunned it. Yeah. I mean, there's still there's still things that are looming overhead, though. Again, we did learn this last week that uh, Redfall was actually in development for both the Xbox and the PlayStation. But upon acquisition of Bethesda and ZeniMax, that uh, the PlayStation 5 version of Redfall was shelved. Of course, there were the uh, concerns now about like uh, the Elder Scrolls Six and Starfield being uh, console exclusives for the Xbox, and of course on PC. Um, you know, the, the the list is not necessarily like endless, but there's definitely been enough to show out there about the potential concerns for competition here, and it doesn't mean that every single barrier has been hurdled by Microsoft to be able to sway one way or the other. But I do feel that it's definitely more of a yellow light than it is a red light now with the CMA. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I, I feel like this is, uh, this is them loosening the grip, uh, uh, definitely, uh, raising their eyes from the microscope and, and, I, I don't I don't think they're done looking at Microsoft, but I, I, I think this is kind of signals that the deal could potentially go through this summer. That would be nice. I have a feeling, though, they're not going to meet their end of June deadline, though. I have a feeling it's going to be pushed out depending on the amount of time that this uh, court case takes and everything else, unless it's all expedited. It makes me think that we're still going to see this pushed out probably till about August or even September for completion that I feel like we're going to be at least another few months. Right. And I, I think that's the bit, the big unfortunate hang up. And really, I don't know that that necessarily 
hurts Microsoft. I, I think in the long run, the people it's going to hurt is Sony and Nintendo. Um, and really, it's just going to hurt Sony because they, they've they fought so hard against it. And I, I think this is going to make bad blood for any future business dealings with them and Microsoft. But fingers crossed, let's hope not. I know Phil Spencer would really like the, the tribalism to end and you know all the consoles to just work together and be able to have you know your sony players play with your xbox players if your if your best friend has a different console there's no reason you can't play the same multiplayer game together and i love that idea but you know sony apparently does not seem to like that idea as much and um it's unfortunate and it needs to change but hopefully you know we'll we'll get some more uh, clarified answers closer to the end of the summer, but we'll see. <laughs> oh yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll start hearing more and more as we go because they're supposed to provide their final decision at the end of this next month, at the end of April. Um, and then, of course, we're still waiting on stuff from the FTC here in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. There's still uh, others we're waiting to actually understand what the full effect of this is going to be. And where things stand. But the other part, though, too, that wasn't mentioned in this article, at least, is that that lawsuit that was started by, I think, like a group of 10 gamers in regards to stopping the uh, the merger, you know, uh, calling out what was it? I think the Clayton Act is what they actually had their lawyer reference. Um, apparently, a judge completely dismissed it. And said it's like there's there's nothing here that indicates that it would meet this. There's there's nothing here with that, which was you know it's a small win because I think we were reading through that previously several months ago. I think it was about even last like mid to late last year that that came out. And it looking at the actual uh, gamers who were suing there is that it seemed to be definitely one-sided more towards like Sony than it was like even considering anything on any other ends of the spectrum here. But that, that case got dismissed. That lawsuit got dismissed. Which is fortunate. And you know, that that's, uh, that that's the unfortunate side effect of this whole thing that that's just gamers trying to perpetuate um, Sony's tribalism that they've, they've instilled in them. At, at least in my mind, maybe that's a little extreme, but um, by by Sony making such a fuss over this whole thing, I I think it's causing more of a stir than it needs to be. I, mm-hmm. I don't get me wrong, a big deal like this needs to be carefully thought over and and looked at and carefully, uh, I I guess combed over to the extent to see where you know there could be faults. And yeah, that Sony has pointed out some good points. But to, to go after the same thing over and over and over again and cite one thing over the deal when there is so much more that they could be considering. Um, and not only that, to, to, to burn so many bridges with other developers or other publishers uh, because of things that they said, at least in my mind, once again, I'm, I'm not saying that they actually did this. This is all allegedly. Allegedly. Um, but yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like Sony might be in the wrong on this one. I, I think they probably are, but we've still got a few more months to see exactly what's going to happen with all this, don't we? 
Yes, we do, unfortunately. Unfortunately, but fortunately, we move on to the last main story of the news for this week, and that is a roundup of the State of Unreal keynote held by Epic Games. So Epic Games decided to go ahead and show off a whole bunch of new things as they relate to their proprietary engine, Unreal Engine 5. Uh, They actually showed off their engine uh, update 5.2, and man, those demos that they showed off were great. Um, I watched a couple of these. I didn't actually get through every single thing that they were showing off, but I did catch up at least on some of it, though. So the first thing they had here was their their procedural generation tools, creating a forest uh more specifically like a a jungle style forest that you might like come across say like in south america and it was showing off a lot not only how the procedural generation works but the level of detail in the um environment the the changes to lighting the changes to textures um and what they did to show some of that stuff off is they actually partnered up with rivian of all companies to actually model the Rivian R1T, that's their electric truck, and bring that into their demo to show off the uh, the updates to the lighting, to the textures, to sound, and to demonstrate how all of that ends up going together. And it was a gorgeous demo. I mean, granted, it was definitely running on higher tier hardware, but it was a gorgeous demo to actually see. And it it definitely gave that same like awe-inspiring look when they first announced Unreal Engine 5 uh, just in the last couple of years. Uh, if you remember, Kyle, do you remember the, the demo that they'd shown off where it was like the it was the girl in Africa or wherever where she was running through the cave and it had all the dynamic lighting and uh, you know it had uh, the different camera pans and takes on things there just to be able to show how much effort they had put into the details for the engine. I do. Yeah. And yeah, that there was like a, uh, hole knocked in the one, like, I guess in the, the, the video, I think it was the top left corner or whatever. And there was like light coming in, in the cave or whatever. Yes, exactly. This feels like the natural progression for what you'd be seeing there. Like this was the way that, um, that, that demo was put together is to give that same type of style and feel. Um, but it looked great. Like the the level of detail there, like I'm not surprised that a lot of companies have partnered with Unreal to put their games into Unreal Engine or partnered with Epic, excuse me. Um, but it looks beautiful. Um, the one thing though that I want to talk about, I know there's a bunch of other things and this is by far, I think the biggest one is all, is the um, the tool that they're adding into Unreal Engine called MetaHuman. Did you get to watch this video? I saw a clip of it, and holy crap! Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, I'm at a loss for words on this one. It's just so unreal. Uh, it just seeing the video and, or I guess even, I like I said, I didn't get to see the whole video. I got to see a clip of it, but seeing that one clip just made my jaw drop. So. To, to kind of help explain what this is here to our listeners, of course, if you haven't seen the actual video yet, is that uh, they brought out the the voice and motion capture. Uh, basically, they brought out the actress who played Senua in Hellblade. 
and uh, Hellblade, upcoming Hellblade 2. And what they did is they demonstrated using an iPhone, uh, of all things, you can use the special like motion capture, stereoscopic uh, cameras and such, but you can use an iPhone to do this too. They put up an iPhone in front of her and she did like a 30 second spiel on stuff. Like she showed some emotion, uh, both like being upset and terrified. Another one was anger. She did a little wink, you know, and, and was basically just conveying like if she was, you know, she's demonstrating something. Well, they took that footage off the iPhone and within about three minutes, they were able to render her in Unreal Engine using this MetaHumans tool that quick. Again, three minutes to be able to take it from capturing on an iPhone, pulling from the iPhone using a dedicated app that they have for this specific purpose, pulling it into the Unreal Engine software and getting that up and running. That's going to make so many different motion capture situations become easy to set up and sort out, especially... I guess even not necessarily just motion capture, because so far it's been focused specifically on the face. But the idea, though, that if you're someone who's learning Unreal Engine and you want to be able to start toying around with MetaHuman, all you need is your iPhone. Just set it up in the right spot. Make sure you give yourself a good set of light and you can render yourself probably in there relatively quick. And that's slick as hell. Yeah, or it, I mean, for that matter, if you're just a a developer that that has you know an idea that they they want to convey, uh, you know, as a short video game, you could use this to to you know render video. Uh, there there there's so many ways to utilize this technology. It, it, it's just insane. Like film, for instance, is just another one. Yeah, or even like especially when it comes to like um, cultural preservation and the fact that you don't have to take a a crazy rig or anything. I wonder like not only doing the metahuman stuff, I wonder if that technology can be used for other like scanning technology as well though too so you can, you know, profile other things. But imagine like the cultural resources in that that you could put towards this. Oh, heck yeah. I like the the... I guess the way that they could utilize just this tech, it uh, what they showed is even just a bite-sized sampling of what you'll be able to do with the technology, and I, I think it's fantastic. It it helps and with with so many things that would have taken so much time, and and so many people and so many so so much resources in the past, and now it, it it's just so quick to do yeah the dollar value for it is just is so astronomical that it's, it's oh heck yeah it's something that normal people just can't go and try out for themselves you know to do like full-on mocap but what i wonder about this though is i wonder if you could use the metahumans tech in real time in the sense that you know even with maybe a little bit of delay could you potentially use this as the next generation vtuber stuff that would be really cool. Like if you if you were able to train the the software a little bit with the the emotions and whatnot, and then eventually use it just as your your VTuber transition so, or translation software, I guess that Bingo. that would be pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um. So they also well, just the character models you'd be able to ma- uh, manage uh, through it would be well. 
ironically unreal. Unreal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but besides that, we also had a couple other things too that were showing off. We also had the Fortnite Unreal editor as well. Uh, so that way you'll actually be able to build out custom Fortnite maps if that's your thing. Um, I've already actually seen a couple different things come up. Um, we've seen basically Call of Duty rebuilt in Fortnite. Um, and even and this one I actually saw has made a couple of the top like Fortnite players actually kind of like cry like tears of joy is that someone actually used the creator or the new uh, editor to rebuild the original uh, first release of the Fortnite map, the the Fortnite Battle Royale map before all of these these events and seasons have happened to make like these these crazy changes in um, in the game itself, and that's made a lot of people like crazy happy to see. See, and I can imagine that too, because I mean, Fortnite, especially when we played I, for the short time we did when uh, i don't i don't even know if the uh, no build mode is still on there but it was when they first introduced the no build mode um like there there was so much going on in the map and so much that had been added i i think there was a section of uh like a section of new york or something uh Oh, it was specifically the Daily Bugle, and there were webs around it for a Spider-Man event. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, then there was other things going on. Uh, They they almost look like G.I. Joe characters for another event going on at the same time in a totally different part of the map. And when I first played it i was overwhelmed i didn't understand what was going on it was it was it was definitely a learning experience just because there there was just so much going on and it was i almost unfortunate actually go figure but i mean we we had fun with it overall and we did yeah I mean, it'd be it'd be kind of cool maybe to check out. I I do know that Epic has unfortunately said there won't be any revenue generated for uh, the creation of the original map, being as it is just a fan rendition of something that was actually Epic's property. Um, but they they are allowing it to uh, to be out there. Um, the cool thing is, though, that the creators will actually be able to uh, get revenue from their their creations on the uh, Fortnite creator. Um, so you you if you're a creator, you'll actually be able to get money for your maps. Uh, you'll be able to get um, money for content that you create in the world. Well, so besides the the actual editor and and that of course there's the uh, yeah there's the uh 40 now uh that is going to actually go back to creators uh from the creator economy so yeah that that was the number i i was actually scrolling the page looking for it uh trying to find what that number was going to be that uh creators were going to get back from the revenue right yeah so i mean 40 percent going back there which actually is a pretty big number compared to like some of the percentages we actually see for uh some other creator tools out there too you have to forgive me but i i can't name anything specifically there but i mean that's a that's a pretty good number there especially though for at least what people can get back from what they actually make for 
uh, Fortnite itself because it is still so big. You're going to make some pretty good money. Well, and that that's just what I was going to say is Fortnite has such a higher pl- high player count that I mean, even if a few people you know download your stuff, the when people look at the player count, it's not necessarily the people that are on uh, all the time, you know, but the people that are currently on. Um, and when you have a concurrent, you know, player count of, you know, a hundred thousand people over, you know, 24 hours, that, that means that there's, there's usually players off and on and off and on. So, I mean, if a few players see something that you created and they want to download it too, and it, it generates revenue, I mean, how fast can, you know, wildfire spread and all of a sudden you're making some good money yourself just off of something you created for a game you like? Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, one of the last little bits there, there were some other things shown off, some other things that were kind of uh, talked about at the state of Unreal, mostly just showing off like the advancements in uh, the other parts of the Unreal and, and Engine environment. So the Verge's article doesn't go too terribly far into it. But um, of course, they also talk about the merging of the asset marketplace. Uh, so they're renaming this one called, uh, and it's called Fab. Uh, you can actually look at it as a plugin in the Unreal Editor for Fortnite right now. Uh, so the asset marketplace, of course, is where you can go and download different assets to actually incorporate into whatever it is that you're actually building in Unreal. Um, especially like for this one, you can actually, you know, since it's built into the Unreal Editor for Fortnite, you're going to get a lot of assets that are probably tied into things you've probably seen in Fortnite before, and you can just start building from those. Uh, but needless to say, it's merging all these different, uh, uh, merging all these different fronts within the Unreal Engine environment into one, so it's easier to get assets from just one single spot. And I think for anybody that's a creator is going to applaud that, especially because it means they don't have to jump from uh, platform to platform to actually find all the things they want to use. That that's pretty fantastic. I mean. I, I know there there's a lot of editors and whatnot that use uh, asset packs that you would have to go and literally download various asset packs from different resources. And you, I mean, you, you see asset packs like even on uh, Humble Bundle or Fanatical or some of these uh, bundling sites that do books, software, and uh, games and whatnot. But that doesn't necessarily mean the asset packs that you're buying are compatible all the time. Sometimes they'll say that they have compatible assets in it, but it might only be one pack out of the 12. And it's nice to see all the resources in one place that you don't have to go and, you know, outsource them yourself. Exactly. Yeah, you don't have to try to scrape them or import them from something else. So, yeah, that is pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, But that's it right there on the main stories for this week. So now we jump into the last bit of the weekly news roundup, which is the quest markers with Kyle. The quest markers being the last little bits of the news that came out this week that we wanted to at least make mention of uh, towards the end of the episode. So, Kyle, what do we have in the quest markers this week? Well, in our first quest marker of the week... um you can officially smell like Mario, Luigi, and Peach with Lush's, yeah, with Lush Brand's new Nintendo line. Uh, the the brand of soap and uh, fragrances has officially 
um, launched a line of soaps that are Mario themed. Um, essentially, um, a Princess Peach body spray, a Luigi shower gel, and Mario shower gel with uh, shower jellies uh, for Princess Peach, Bowser, and a question block and soap gold coins. Um, they're available through Lush's website if you're interested. Uh, for uh, varying prices, it looks like. Um, but now you can officially smell like your favorite game slash movie character. Um, an interesting twist. Hooray. I wonder what I wonder what Bowser smells like. Is that like dead lizards or? I, I imagine is that. I imagine it smells like a terrarium and sulfur. <laughs> right. But continuing on to our second um, quest marker of this week, uh, the beloved uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles graphic novel, The Last Ronin, is set to become a video game. Um, announced this week by the uh, company that produces Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the game is set to be a God of War style game. Um, of course, following the last surviving turtle after the rest of the team is is wiped out by the the Foot Clan and Shredder. Um, this comes, of course, after the team up between Call of Duty um, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to bring you the Shredder skin for this season of Call of Duty. Uh, of course, no word yet of what studio will be publishing the game or what kind of release window, but um, you can expect a, a God of War um, Ninja Turtles-style game in the near future, so I'm quite excited about this one. Hell yeah. And in our last quest marker of this evening, um, three Battlefield games are being delisted and removed from online servers but not Mirror's Edge no 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 not Mirror's Edge Mirror's Edge is a Battlefield game? no but it is an EA game and unfortunately EA is killing some of the Battlefield servers and originally was going to kill the original Mirror's Edge server however it seems that uh, there is quite a few time trial uh, lovers out there of the original game that still uh, have petitioned for the server to be up, so the game will not be delisted as of yet. Um, thank God I love Mirror's Edge. But, in an unfortunate twist, uh, it looks like Battlefield Bad Company 1 and 2 and Battlefield 1943 are going away forever. With the delist, uh, with the, uh, the, I guess, dissolvement or dissolution of the servers, uh, they will be completely delisting the game from the marketplace. Um, I want to say this will... Uh, I'm trying to find if, what the exact date was because I didn't write it down. Um, as of April 28th. So if uh, you if, if you don't already have Battlefield Bad Company 1 or 2 um, and would like to play those games, fantastic fantastic single-player games. Um, definitely pick them up before April 28th. Otherwise, you can say bye-bye and 
pick them up on 360 or PS3. But that is it for the Quest Markers for this week. And with that being the end of the Quest Markers, that is it for this week's news roundup. Again, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this week's NPCs Weekly News Roundup for the week of March 24th, 2023. If you like what you're listening to, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We are on quite a few podcast platforms. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, you name it, we are probably on it. So if you like what you're listening to, go ahead and drop a follow or subscribe there on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Or if you aren't sure exactly where we're at, you can go check us out on our homepage. The link still does redirect right now. It's anchor.fm slash the dash NPCs dash podcast. You can also follow us on social media on Twitter and Facebook at the NPCs podcast. And of course, go find us on YouTube as well at the NPCs podcast. Just go ahead and search for us and hit the subscribe and notification bell there. With all that, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in for this week's news. We will catch you all next week. Laters.